Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and at long last with this episode I will review the long sought out, um, often discussed adaptation of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. Um, as you guys know, I have um, shared many, many thoughts on The Dark Tower, both um, the print version and my expectations and hopes and fears for the, the film, which um, came out officially on, on Friday. Um, it was screened on Wednesday. I saw it on Thursday. Um, I'll talk all about that, but it is out there now. And um, I have shared my thoughts on, on basically every step of the, the, the journey, um, everything that I've heard, um, every, every article that was shared on Entertainment Weekly, every photo that was um, put out on Instagram. So my, my thoughts are all out there. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts, um, so make sure that you, you stick around for that. But before I get to the actual review of The Dark Tower, there's just a couple things I'd, I'd like to, to plug. As you guys know, um, I have been lately discussing uh, the, uh, a particular brand of t-shirt. Um, I am currently actually wearing a an awesome um, Calvin Tower, Tower Records uh t-shirt that, that has the, the dark tower and um, it, it, it has like kind of like electric waves coming out of the top and um, has like some storm cloud thunderclap uh, pictures in there. Um, it, it's just a really, really cool t-shirt. Um, it is one of the now many t-shirts that I have um, from Stephen King Works and all these t-shirts can be found at ka-tet19.net. Um, I cannot stress enough to you guys just how good these shirts are if you are a Stephen King fan. Um, so make sure that you head on over to ka-tet19.net. Um, I've, I've posted some pictures of, of the t-shirts that, that I have. I just got, um, I just ordered a, a couple new ones um, this past week. Hold on, that noise in the background, that is, it's one of my co-hosts going after a bag of Tostitos. Uh, so if you, if you are in the, the, the mood for some Stephen King shirts, if you, um, are just in the dark tower mood, um, whether you liked the movie or not, or if you're just looking back into the books fondly and you just want to rock some nice dark tower apparel, head on over to the website. If you want to start to get ready for it. Now, we're not necessarily going to look in the past anymore after this episode. Um, I'm going to look into the future, look towards September, and, and get really excited about the It adaptation. And if you want uh, some, some It t-shirts to wear on opening night, well, there is a great Losers Club t-shirt for, for you to procure. So, not only do I strongly believe in uh, the, the, the products from kadashtet19.net, um, I... Um, have been in communication with, with Matt, um, who designs the t-shirts, and um, probably next week he and I will, will, will have a chat to talk about what these, uh, these t-shirts entail, what the design process is like, and, and his journey from, um, from Stephen King fan to the, the, the number one resource for Stephen King 
uh, apparel. So uh, look forward to that. Speaking of which, guys, um, last week was a, a big break in in format for the Stephen King cast. Um, as you know, and I say it at the beginning of the top of every show, this is one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Um, not last week, and uh, that was because I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down with Josh Brooker, the writer-director of the upcoming adaptation of Stephen King's Night Shift short story, One for the Road. And he and I had an awesome conversation. It was a blast. Um, it was my first uh, official interview, and it the, the hour went by... Um, like nothing. And so, I mean, I had a really good time with Josh. I believe uh, in his talents to, to make this movie come to life. I would love to see it come to life. Um, so if you haven't listened to the episode, make sure that you check it out because it's just a good conversation about Stephen King, about creativity, about the creative process, about how Josh just said this is something that he wants to do and he sought out to do it. Um, and you can help make it happen. So if you just head to Indiegogo dot com uh then you can just type in one for the road and the indiegogo uh campaign page will come up and you can donate as much as two thousand dollars as little as five five bucks if every one that listens to the stephen king cast um just donates five bucks then um they'll they'll meet this goal um by the end of the day so Five dollars will will help make this movie happen. Lance Hendrickson, Salem's Lot, Vampires, uh, Snowy Terrain. What else do you want out of life? That's really all that I need. So head on over. Five bucks. Uh, make this movie happen. Okay, guys. Uh, up next, I'd like to share some iTunes reviews. I haven't done this in a while, and I don't know which iTunes review I last left off on. So if there's any... Um, repetition here i do apologize um but as you know i cannot do this without you and um the more itunes subscriptions and the more itunes reviews i get really helps spread the word of the stephen king cast it helps bump it up higher in the search engine and library so i just want to thank everyone that has taken the time to just write um a couple nice things um, and, and sharing your, your thoughts uh, through the iTunes reviews. Like I said, it really, really helps me out. So up first, we have from Asriel Abyss, who writes, Excellent. I am not a reader of fiction, but love Stephen King's stories. So getting reviews of movies along with the writings is perfect. Great podcast. Asriel Abyss, thank you. Um, and that's a great name. Now we also have um, from Carly1027, a must for constant readers. If you love Stephen King and cannot get enough, uh, this podcast is a must. A true constant reader who will take you through each and every novel. So happy to discover this one. So Carly, thank you so much for writing in. Then we have Short Jim, who writes, Just Plain Enjoyable. I listen to the corresponding episode every time I finish a new Stephen King book. It's so good, I'm tempted to binge them all. Love the episodes about new King movie trailers, too. All right, thank you, Short Jim. I will definitely keep uh, keep that going, although I did not discuss the new It trailer, um, which is something that I, I, I definitely do want to talk about, um, so I will address it um, at some point. Then we have um, from Sarik1980, who writes, Great SK Podcast. Stumbled across this podcast just recently and have already listened to several episodes. Great analysis of King's work. Thank you, um, Sarek1980. 
Then we have Best Podcast Ever from Delta Hayes, who writes, I subscribed a while back on my Android phone and now here. This podcast is incredible. I can't say enough good things about it. You do a fantastic job of breaking down the stories and pointing out things that I missed while reading them. It's like talking to an old friend about my favorite author mixed with a lot of nostalgia from the times when I first read the stories you review. Keep it up, and I hope to hear much more in the future. Hope this review helps keep you at the top of the list. Good job, sir. My hat's off to you. Long days and pleasant nights to you. Delta Hayes, thank you, and may you have twice the number. From the Purple Card Man, he writes, or she writes, or he, or whoever, uh, the King Lover's Dream. My infatuation for the story It led me to randomly search Stephen King in my podcast app. I've listened to a few similar podcasts, and yours is by far the best. I've already listened to all of your episodes of books I have read so as to not spoil other endings. Your in-depth analysis of each book is able to bring me back to the time I first read each novel. It's like a one-on-one -on -one book club, the Losers Club, if you will, which the subject is always Stephen King. It's a King lover's dream. I find myself eager to reread each book after I have listened to its episode, in which I have for the Green Mile and plan on rereading it with the movie coming out in a couple months. I've listened to your three reviews of It multiple times, as well as your It trailer episode. Like you and so many other King readers, It was the one that hooked me at such a young age. The only two gripes I have with the podcast is, one, you don't give spoiler warnings. I avoid episodes that I haven't read, but um, even in other episodes, you sometimes give away endings to other books. I find myself skipping ahead too often, so I'm not robbed of good story later. Two, I feel the negative qualities of certain characters hold too big of an influence on your tone of an episode, such as Jerome and Mr. Mercedes or the gangbang in It. Those are the only negative things I can think of. Your calming voice and love for Stephen King make for a wonderful way to get through my workday. I hope you choose to start other podcasts, as I, along with many other King fans, will miss your antics. It's like we're one big family under the dome, one we'll never see but are familiar with, all because of Stephen King and yourself. Thanks for countless hours of therapeutic entertainment. Purple Card Man. Purple Card Man, I, I feel, and this is what I'm talking about, like why I, I do apologize for any repetition. I feel like I did read this one um, on the air. But you're right about um, Jerome. And I'm very looking forward to uh, the uh, Mr. Mercedes adaptation. I, as I'm on record saying I don't like Mr. Mercedes the book. I had issues with Jerome. Um, I'm starting to come around on that because it's definitely a... King is making a commentary on how Jerome acts in the book, uh, so I'm I'm very interested to see how all this plays out in the movies or in the in the TV show. So I'm I I don't I don't know I don't know if I'll review it or not, but if I do, you can definitely check it out here at the Stephen King cast. Then we have from show slash book fan, the best Stephen King podcast. I've been a constant listener of this podcast for well over a year, and there isn't a better King podcast out there. I even went back and read a couple of King's books just so I could listen to your podcast review. The, review, the reviews are very thorough. Until yesterday, I had not even heard of Gwendy's Button Box. I hope I got that title right. But since the Stephen King cast posted the latest review, I had to order the novella on Amazon. Like the podcaster with no name, I am also a huge Dark Tower junkie, and I have loved all of the Dark Tower bonus episodes discussing connections between the works. Even though he never gives his name, you feel like you're talking to an old buddy when you listen to this show. If you're a King fan, you must listen to this podcast. Don't stop with just the novel reviews. The movies and television episodes are also a lot of fun. I nearly choked on my Pepsi when I listened to the episode of the Langoliers miniseries. Also, check out the episode about SK Tours in Bangor. I took the tour myself, and it's awesome. This is easily a five-star podcast. So, show book fan, thank you so much. 
Then we have from Juggling Josh, listening in China. Love the podcast. Can you review Rose Red? Thanks for all your hard work. Rose Red, I don't have any plans for right now, which isn't to say that I don't, I won't have plans in the future. Um, I, I mean, chances are if I decide to keep the podcast going for as long as I possibly can, that will mean that I will have to get to Rose Red at some point, along with other adaptations that. Um, I never thought of reviewing the first time around, so I can't say never, but um, in the near foreseeable future, um, not not yet anyway. And then we have Cookie Burrito, who writes, helps me see the books in new ways. Discovered this podcast last week, and I'm blasting through it listening to the host break down all of my favorite King novels. His analysis is giving the books even greater meaning, drawing out themes and ideas I hadn't considered, and allowing me to extend my experience of some of my favorite stories. Thank you. Thank you, Cookie Burrito. Um, and everyone, like I said, if you do have a few minutes on your hands, um, just a, a quick little review like that really, really helps me out. Helps um, helps get the, the Stephen King cast out there. Uh, and it just, it just helps if you type in Stephen King into the search menu. It just makes it available that, that much greater. Um, so if you, like I said, I know that we're all busy, strapped for time, but if you do have a couple minutes... Um, do me a solid, write a review, it would be great. Thanks, guys. Okay, I have discussed ka-tet19.net. I've discussed One for the Road. I have uh, read the iTunes reviews. The title of this episode is the Dark Tower movie review. So here we are, at long last. I am not going to read emails the way that I typically do before the review of uh, the, the, the bulk of the episode. I'm actually going to read the reviews later in the episode after I am done giving my thoughts on the Dark Tower movie because I want to conclude the episode with you sharing your thoughts. So I got a handful of, of um, people, uh, a handful of emails um, in which people expressed their their thoughts on the Dark Tower movie, and that's how uh, today's episode will conclude. So, here we go. Before I get into the actual review of the Dark Tower movie, I, I just, I really feel the need that despite the fact I have done uh, two episodes on the Gunslinger with a bonus episode. No, two episodes on the Gunslinger, an episode on the Drawing of the Three with a bonus episode, an episode on the Wastelands with a bonus episode, episode of Wizard and Glass with a bonus episode. Similarly, um, Wolves of the Kala, Song of Susanna, and a concluding two-part um, episode of The Dark Tower, an episode of Wind Through the Keyhole, and then basically all of the Stephen King cast. Um, even though I have definitely shared my thoughts on the Dark Tower, I do want to put me heading into this movie in, in as crystal clear context as possible. So I got into Stephen King when I was in fifth or sixth grade. And as you know, the, that first book I read was It. And from there, I started making my way through... Uh, Stephen King's works, and keep in mind, this is this is back in the 90s, um, in the early 90s, and at that time, uh, there was no such thing, not, not to the extent that it exists now, but the, the, the internet did not exist. So I had started to hear about a, a Stephen King ongoing series. Now, at the time, 
It really was just three books. It was The Gunslinger Drawing of the Three and The Wastelands. And it was enough to pique my curiosity. And I remember going out and getting The Gunslinger and uh, just reading it in the spring, loving it, finding it weird. Even then, I had read enough Stephen King to understand that it just felt different. But whatever, I, I didn't care. I was sucked into that world I cared about the story of of Roland and Midworld and Jake and the Man in Black, and I wanted Roland to find this tower so we could understand what the tower is, and I just got sucked in. Uh, and I then proceeded to spend years of my life just drawing pictures, much like Jake in the movie, drawing pictures of, of Roland and the tower and the man in black, and it consumed my life. And then through these books, through The Gunslinger and The Drawing of the Three and The Wastelands, I started making connections, and I would reread them, and I, then I realized that in Drawing of the Three, there's a Randall Flagg reference, and I said, that's really cool that not only is it a you know, uh, an Easter egg, not that I used that terminology back then because uh, it didn't really exist back then. Um, but, you know, at that time, you know, when I would reread, you know, when I would read one Stephen King book and I would read the next and the next book would reference something that happened in an earlier Stephen King novel or story, you know, it's just, it's, re it's a rewarding experience for Stephen King fans. And that was how Stephen King turned me into one of his constant readers, how it turned me into one of his fans. But I think that with The Dark Tower, he took it to a whole new level. To know that Randall Flagg actually existed in the same world as Roland was something very, very special. And there would be some hints here and there. And it didn't take long for me to realize that The Dark Tower was a novel that was going to draw elements from so many of his other books in a way that was more than just a throwaway reference. He didn't start to get into that in, in greater detail, um, really until he started working on Insomnia and, and Black House with, uh, with Peter Straub, um, and then, of course, with uh, Wolves of the Kala. But uh, but at the time, basically what I'm trying to say is at the time, it really helped shape my critical thinking and it helped me become a super fan and it really forced me to think about connections and read with purpose and a lot of the, the aspects to reading and storytelling um, and analysis that, that ultimately led me to... Uh, pursuit of blah 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 being an English major blah 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 so all of that is wrapped up with the Dark Tower um, and with that came an enjoyment of analysis um, you know you know some people analysis is not for everyone um, you know podcasts like the one that I put out is not for everyone uh, you know when I am done with an episode of Game of Thrones or Twin Peaks uh, one of my favorite things to do is to just listen to one of the many podcasts out there uh, to to help, he, you know, just for me to hear other people's thinking as they break down scene by scene, character beat by character beat, that type of analysis I find enjoy. Um, I, I, I get a lot of pleasure from it. And similarly, I, it's something that I like to do myself. Um, the 
the analysis of a work helps me first understand it better, um, but it also helps me enjoy it more because it forces me to take it apart and see how it was made, and then I'm able to judge how well it was made, and that that process itself it just makes me, it just makes me. Yeah, enjoy it. It just makes me enjoy it. And um, all of that really started, really started with with the Dark Tower movie. Or sorry, with the Dark Tower. The series, not the movie. Um, so, of course, I, I always envisioned a, a Dark Tower movie and what that would look like, a series of Dark Tower movies um I, I think that for a lot of us um in uh in the early 2000s when peter jackson's lord of the rings movies were coming out i think that a lot of us um that were fans of of stephen king and the dark tower started thinking about what that could look like and um you know i i know that at that point because you know vigo was was playing aragorn at the time i i i know a lot of us envision Viggo Mortensen in the role of Roland and I still think that he would be great um but I mean I I just I remember rereading the books at the time of the Lord of the Rings and uh, just imagining all of those scenes playing out on the big screen with a big budget and what that would look like and then upon the conclusion of the Dark Tower books you know I I, I knew that J.J. Abrams uh had approached Stephen King with uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, and and they were gonna, they were gonna do it, and that fell through. And then Ron Howard had a very very ambitious plan, to uh, that was really ahead of its time, which makes more sense nowadays with franchising and and multimedia platforms. But at the time, it it was almost unheard of to do alternating uh, movies and television shows to to flesh out this story. And that almost got close. We had Javier Bordem, who was going to play Roland, but that fell through. And then it looked like it was never going to happen until, like, last year. Not only did the announcement come about that there was going to be a movie, um, the announcement came, the casting happened, the movie was made, and boom, here we are now. So it happened really, really quickly, um, much like the movie itself. Uh, it happened very fast. Um, and then here we are. Here we are today. After all these years, after all of these centuries, the Dark Tower movie um, has been released for everyone to uh, make up their, their own mind about it. Now, as word was coming out about this movie and what this movie was going to entail, and the fact that the movie was going to be called The Dark Tower and it wasn't going to be called The Gunslinger, and um, the... the the, the, the word, you know, hit that it was not so much a direct adaptation, but it was more of a reimagining of the story, incorporating, incorporating elements that occurred later on in the series. Um, the, the arguments began, um, whether or not this was good, whether or not this is, was going to result with a good movie. Now, I've been on record being open-minded about that. Um, change... Um, when it comes to uh, adapting something to a different medium, I am 100% in favor of change. 
um, you know, controversially, I, I know that this is a, a huge bone of contention for a lot of Stephen King fans out there, but I am a massive fan of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I think it is a fantastic film, and I understand the choices that Stanley Kubrick made. Um, it is not a good Stephen King adaptation. It's a perfect film. Um, similarly, Jaws. Uh, Jaws is not a great book, and Jaws the movie... Um, definitely retools aspects of that book, but in favor of the experience that watching it as a movie um, gives you. Uh, Steven Spielberg also made a lot of changes to Jurassic Park, which I think work in favor of the, the, the movie Jurassic Park. I still love the book, don't get me wrong, but I also enjoy the movie, especially because of the changes that were made. Um, Tim Burton's Batman in 1989. It's not a good Batman film. He's almost unrecognizably Batman with the amount of people that he murders. However, it's a fantastic Tim Burton movie. So I am fine with changes as long as it makes for a, a good movie. So I went into this being very, very open-minded. And I, I felt that um, the, the core of everything that I was hearing and, and everything that I was reading... The fact that it still focused on three characters, the gunslinger, the man in black, and Jake, the boy. Because it still focused on them, um, I, I, I had less issues with the fact that they were going to take elements from other aspects of the series and um, put them into this movie. Uh, because, for a couple of reasons. One, it seemed as though the core still remained true to the gunslinger. Um, but also because, as I stated before, the gunslinger itself is a strange entry in the, 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 the Dark Tower series because it was written by a much younger Stephen King, um, because it is very literary and flowery with a lot of symbolism and theme. Um, and if you were to adapt that directly and faithfully, it wouldn't make for the best movie, and it certainly wouldn't make for a movie that would launch a franchise. Um, so I was totally fine with them making some stylistic choices here to launch a franchise and to um, incorporate elements that, that came further on in, in the series. Um, because, I mean, when Stephen King first sat down to write The Gunslinger, he wasn't aware of what he was going to do with the um, Walter O'Dim, uh, Martin Broadcloak, Randall Flagg character. He hadn't yet created the Crimson King. He hadn't even created the Beams yet. Uh, he hadn't thought about Ka Tets um, or the, the, the true concept of Ka, the Guardians, um, really getting into Midworld. Uh, so the, there's a lot of elements that, that make the Dark Tower series what it is that come later on um, in, in the, 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 the stories. So for the filmmakers to take some of those elements and put them in the first movie, that made sense to me. That would be like in Lord of the Rings if Sauron is never mentioned um, in the first movie. Um, if if, if uh, you know J.R.L. Tolkien... Um, didn't figure out that the bad guy was this monster named Sauron that lived um, in Mount Doom, if he didn't figure that out 
until like the last book. Um, so if that's how Lord of the Rings had worked and Peter Jackson wanted to change some things and say, no, I'm going to establish that uh, Sauron is the bad guy right away, that way that gives a very clear understanding of where our characters need to go. I would be fine with that kind of choice. So the fact that we were getting Crimson King references, the, the fact that it, it, it took the understanding of who audiences, who a lot of book readers wanted Walter to be, um, and sort of were going to turn him into that, it, it retweaks um, what happened to Gilead um, and the concept of the world moving on. There were some choices here that I was going to be fine with. It, it takes the concept of the breakers and it moves them earlier on, which I believe gives Jake some agency here. So there were some choices that they were making that I wasn't opposed to. I was going into this very open-minded because I wanted to believe that the people that were making it, the people that were making decisions like that, to incorporate the Horn of Eld, that they were making decisions how to change the the this story to make it look like the rest of the story. You know, I mean, so it wasn't weird changes for the sake of change. It seemed to be coming from the right place. So I was getting very, very excited every step of the way um, as we headed into the movie, especially last summer. So flashback, and I've talked about this a lot, so I apologize, guys, if you're sick of hearing about this, but one year ago, around this time, the movie was being filmed. People were snapping photos in New York. Entertainment Weekly was releasing some um, some uh, some specials on, on, the, uh, on the production. We got a deep dive into the, the thought process behind it all. Um, there was some... Uh, cool um, marketing going on with Charlie the Choo Choo and Beryl Evans being at Comic-Con. Uh, there was the understanding through the, the, the photos that were being snapped on, on the, the, the location shoots. You know, we saw Barlow and Straker um, antique shop, uh, which shows that there is just definitely a love of Stephen King. The Dixie Pig uh, logo, which is a great shirt that you can get at Cotet19.net. Um, so, I mean, th there was just a lot of cool stuff that was just uh, getting me, and I was getting a lot of people excited about it. And then, as you know, all of that just stopped. Um, and the, the, the trailer that was promised on, on Christmas never came, and the movie got postponed, and then you didn't hear anything, and you didn't hear anything, then you get one poster, and then there's no marketing, then the trailer drops, and then that's... And we get like a, 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 another trailer a little bit later that really doesn't do anything. And the amount of footage that we see, um, it, there doesn't seem to be too much of the footage. The same footage that we just keep seeing again and again. And then you hear that it's a 95-minute runtime. Everyone starts to get worried that it, the movie is so short. Um, so the, the, heading into this movie, last year at this time, I was very, very confident. As the months passed, my confidence dropped my concerns grew still had an open mind um and then i knew that sony wasn't going to send this out for um critics um until like a day or two before the movie came out which whatever say what you will i, I was still going into this open-minded um and i just was following twitter and i was seeing what twitter was saying and um 
I knew that critics, when they saw the movie, I knew that there was an embargo, and I knew when the embargo was going to lift, and so I was just refreshing my feed, refreshing my feed, and just... I felt that I wasn't hearing good buzz, embargo or not, if the movie was good, um, people would say it was good. Um, you know, you would get the Twitter response saying, I can't talk about it, but I can't wait to talk about it. Like, you would hear people saying that, but no one was saying that. Um, so the, the, the lack of chatter um, was not good. Because embargo or not, like, good reviews, um, if someone is, is hinting that a good review is going to come, that's only going to help the movie. Uh, so, no, when I, when I wasn't hearing anything uh, positive and everything was just neutral, I knew that that was a bad sign. And then, um, then 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time hit and uh, the embargo lifted and the reviews started pouring in. And it was sad, you know? I mean, I wasn't surprised. Um, I had had an open mind. I had been positive, but I was not surprised. And then on Thursday morning, I woke up, I checked my phone, I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, and appropriately enough, uh, I saw that The Dark Tower was sitting with 19% at Rotten Tomatoes, um, which is pretty brutal, but with 19 being what it is, it's actually, you know, kind of funny. Um, and, you know, and it, that did kind of taint my experience heading into the movie theater that night, um, because I was very excited to go see it on August 3rd, 2017 at 7.19 um, p.m. So, despite the reviews uh, and the 19% Rotten Tomatoes score, um, I, I was still looking forward to going see that movie. And despite the fact that it was getting pretty ravaged by, by the critics, some of which were fans, some of whom were not fans um, of the book. So it seems to be, across the board, uh, a movie that was not responding well um, at all. I just, I gotta say that despite that, and despite the fact that I, I knew heading in that I probably wasn't going to be getting a, 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 good, a good movie, I still felt excited. And I remember like looking at all my, my ka-tet19.net t-shirts and thinking about which one I was going to wear and like just you know taking a picture and putting it on Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook and hey guys which shirt should I wear and Twitter was you know and, and the social media at the time like everyone was excited one way or another and like I, you know I'm, I'm tweeting and people are you know tweeting back and it was a shared experience that I was very happy to have been a part um, and by the way, I wore the, the Man in Black Fly Across the Desert and the Gunslinger Follow t-shirt. That was the shirt that I wound up wearing. But I remember that despite all of the concerns that um, I had about the movie, as I pulled into the movie theater uh, on Thursday, I pulled in with a smile breaking over my face. Because for good or for bad, I was going to go see The Dark Tower in the movie theaters. And I was happy that I was able to say that. That I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't know if I was going to agree with the critics or disagree with the critics. 
you know, part of me was thinking that, hey, you know what, maybe everyone's wrong and I'm going to see something that Nikolai Arcel, you know, tried to do that went over the heads of everyone. You know, I, I didn't necessarily think that that was going to happen. I did hold on a little bit of hope. Um, I did expect it to just, you know, I, I expected to fall in line with the critics. Um, but again, I also was going in open-minded um, and I walked in with a smile. I, and I, I, I'll always remember that. I'll always remember walking in with a smile, which um, was not what was on my face when I walked out of the movie theater, unfortunately, I have to say. So 35 minutes into this episode, guys, I'm going to get right to it. Um, for those of you who haven't heard my thoughts already on, on Twitter, the movie is not great. Um, I do agree with the, the critical um, assessment of, of the movies out there and or of, of, of the movie out there. Now guys, I just want to say straight off a couple things. One, if you liked the movie, I am not going to try and take that away from you. And everything I say is just going to be my thoughts on this movie, both as a movie and as an adaptation. Um, so I, I am jealous of everyone that went into that movie and felt something positive from that movie. So for anyone that actually enjoyed their time with this story, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy for you. So I do not want to take anything away. The, the point of me sharing my thoughts is not to prove you wrong. It's simply to share my thoughts. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, Spoiler alert for all of Stephen King works. Spoiler alert for the, the Dark Tower series. If you have not read the Dark Tower um, and you're only listening to this episode because maybe you've seen the movie and if you are interested, you're just kind of curious about the Dark Tower, please understand that I'll be spoiling the events of pretty much everything in the Dark Tower. So just bear with me on that. And if you guys hear a... Uh, a difference in the quality of or the consistency of the audio just note that I, I switched locations of um, I stopped recording a second ago and I just I moved from downstairs to upstairs just in case you were like what just happened um, it's actually a little bit of time travel too I actually stopped recording for the day yesterday and then I I, I started back up today so I started recording this on uh, um, August 5th and now it is August 6th how fun is that? Um, and actually, as we speak, not only did uh, the Dark Tower have a 19% Rotten Tomato score, I think it's since bumped up to, to 21%, um, but the, the estimates are rolling in now. Now that it's Sunday, it looks like it has grossed $19 million uh, this weekend. So uh, Ka has come to, to deliver a swift kick in the Dark Tower's ass. Um, 1919. It's all coming up 19 for, for the Dark Tower, which is, which is just a big cosmic joke on everyone. So what I'm going to do rather than, you know, typically what I do with the movie reviews, I just kind of, it's, it's less of a review when I, when I do movies and it's more of a, of a commentary as the movie goes along. But, uh, what I'm going to do instead, sort of like what I did with the Dark Tower trailer review, I'm going to break it down um, in three categories based on one of the inspirations for Stephen King's first entry in the Dark Tower, um, the book which served as the primary inspiration of, of the Dark Tower movie, 
um, the gunslinger, and the inspiration, of course, is the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I will, rather than giving my general overview, I will break down this movie into what I believe are the good qualities, the bad qualities, and the ugly qualities, which is, which is good because it allows me to, to start off on a positive note. So, the good. Um, the first thing is, it was an attempt at something new. And I have to appreciate that because I am not um, a, a slavish fan that needs an adaptation to be a, a carbon copy of the book or the comic book or, or whatever original medium it was in. Um, you know, like I've said with Jurassic Park and, and Jaws, I, I just... I. I like when a director comes in, looks at the medium with which he is working or she is working and, and says, okay, how can I best translate this um, into film? I appreciate that. And I appreciate the idea that they wanted to do something new, something different. Um, so there was an attempt there. And I, I appreciate the attempt um, I'll, I'll get back into this in the in the bad and the ugly sections, but at first I want to acknowledge the attempt that that was behind uh, this this production. Uh, two, the father son symmetry. Um, I I bought it. I, I I get it. You know, Roland loses his father. Jake has lost his father. So what they're able to do is just you know, fill each other out. Um, there's a, there's a symmetry there. Um, so, okay. You know, I, I think that that's neat, clean storytelling. I understand why they made the decision to do that. Um, and because Roland and Jake are, uh, you know, um, spiritual father, son, uh, anyway, it, it, it makes sense to, to really buckle down on that. Um, three, I really liked the opening, and I mean the literal opening to the movie. You know, the the, the music starts to play, um, and that's another thing that I like. I, I like um, uh, DJ uh, Junkie XL. Sorry, Junkie XL, um, but he's not going by Junkie XL for this. It's Tom Holkenberg. Is that his name? Um, Holkenberg. Uh, I, I I like the music, and I like the music as it began to play in the beginning. You see the the Sony Pictures and. MRC Studios or production, and then you see the Tet Corporation logo with the turtle and the rose. Now, I just got goosebumps thinking about it, and with the, the combination between knowing that I'm about to sit down and watch the Dark Tower unfold on screen, and I'm going to see these characters that I've cared about for decades about to come alive on screen, um, and the music was, I, I, I think, exactly what it needed to be. It was ominous. It sounded big. It just, it was, it was slowly coming at us. And the, the combination of, of the turtle and the rose, that to me showed a lot of love for the source material. And it, it got me really, really excited. Um, it was really, really cool to see that. And I, and I haven't seen anyone really writing about that or talking about that in any of the reviews. So I, I definitely wanted to make sure that, that I touched upon that. And I, you know, and then going into this movie, knowing that it, it had gotten bad reviews, it didn't deter me from, from being excited as I sat down and watched it. And I said to myself, at the very least, I'm going to keep my eye open for all of the Stephen King Easter eggs out there because that will be something that I can, I know that I'll be able to enjoy. Um, so, you know, you, you, you see Cujo, 
you see, um, you know, Christine at one point. Jake's friend is playing with, with Christine in the car. The number 19 is everywhere. At one point during the one of the portals, um, above the portals, you see the, the, the numbers 1408. Roland at one point <clears throat> sees the Rita Hayworth poster. Uh, we've already talked about the, the Pennywise Circus. Um, uh, when Randall Flagg has uh, left um, a note for Jake, it's in his like classic sort of smiley face that he does, um, and it says hello there. And so that's definitely like a shout out to the Randall Flagg aspect of the the Walter character. Um, at one point when. <clears throat> Roland is discussing the, the tower and he's discussing how there are, um, I don't even know if he says 12 beams, but, uh, you know, he's basically talking about how the, the, the tower is important and it, it's repurposed here and it's not the existence, it's not the, the center of existence, it's not holding up reality. What it is, it's it's more in this, it, it it's a protector of the universe and it keeps what's outside the universe at bay. Um, and then to illustrate his point, he's drawn it in the sand. He takes a tarantula that's crawling nearby and he puts it um, where the beams are and the spider starts crawling towards the, uh, the tower, which I thought was a nice visual and a nod to, um, of course, the, the, the spider in um, It and Mordred. And um, at one point during the, the Dark Tower, the book, or maybe Song of Susanna, uh, the Stephen King character refers to the Crimson King as the, the King of Spiders. Um, and in the comic books, he has much more spider um, uh, characteristics than he does in, in the book. Because remember in the book, it, the, the reveal of the Crimson King and the showdown with the Crimson King is a subversion of the buildup to the, the, the concept of ultimate evil. Whereas in the comic books... Um, he really is this, this all-powerful, monstrous, Sauron-type figure. And, and I imagine that if there is a sequel to The Dark Tower, which I don't think that we'll get, uh, any interpretation of The Crimson King would not, be that, uh, would not be that against expectations subversion that the <laughs> um, shrieking, uh, snitch-throwing, uh, Santa Claus-looking guy was. Instead, we'll get the, the, the big bad that... Uh, King had teased for so long, but also other uh, <clears throat> other Easter eggs that that we saw. Uh, of course, the the Overlook Hotel, um, just the fact that they're referring to the the shine the entire time. Uh, Nikolai Arcel has confirmed that at the beginning, when we see two girls there and their twins, that is a shout out to The Shining. Um, at one point, <laughs> the Man in Black has a copy of Misery's Child, which I thought was a really fun Easter egg. So, yeah, I mean, the Easter eggs are, are, are definitely there. I thought there was actually going to be more, but I was definitely happy with, with what I saw. Number five, uh, Billy Bumbler shout-out. And this one I, I thought was, was really well done in a sequence that I thought was probably the highlight uh, of the movie. It was the one that felt the most organically um, rich, and just and just worked. It didn't feel as forced as other elements. And that was the the fish out of water when Roland is was in New York and he was in the the hospital. You could really tell how his ways of speech and thought processes, how they really just clashed with our modern world. And um, 
at one point, there's a commercial on the television, and Roland's looking at it, and in the commercial, some raccoons are talking to each other, and he says to Jake, um, do your animals still speak here? And Jake says, Jake pauses, and he says, wait, what do you mean still speak? And it's just a nice shout-out to um, to Billy Bumblers, because uh, you know that that was just a, a, a complete reference to, to Billy Bumblers there. Um and at one point, uh, which brings us to number six, at one point when um, Roland and Walter are facing off, Walter is projecting himself. Um, he's not really there, but he's, he's taunting Roland. And that's when he says the line about how everyone you walk with dies by my hands. He explicitly mentions Roland's father, but he also mentions something about your crew and your weak mother, something like that, um, which I, to me that made it like that was just that was the only time in the story that I actually feel as though there was a history with these two um and it made me feel like there was more of a history with Roland and and Roland actually felt more like a character in that moment it helps of course that I know exactly what he's talking about but that was a nice shout out to um Roland's original quartet um, referred to here as you know his old crew, and of course the relationship between Walter and Roland's mother. For Walter to throw that back in 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 Roland's face, I really didn't expect to see that on screen, but that was definitely a a really really nice touch that that I appreciated. Um, another touch that I thought was was interesting was that we actually saw the wizard the wizard's rainbow. Uh, Walter has. At one point, he slides one of his um, panels back in his secret layer. The secret layer will not be listed in the, the good category, um, but he slides a panel back and you see the different colored um, bends of the rainbow, which I thought was was really, really neat. They don't function like the, the, the bends of the rainbow do in, in the books, and they're never explained, and it, the, the, the usage of them is kind of pointless but whatever i mean we saw the the bends of the rainbow and that was that was that was pretty neat and in fact at one point he he had black 13 which was which was pretty awesome um north central positronics just to see north central positronics um and and see that logo uh and th that's an element of the dark tower mythos that that started to come about um in the later books, uh, I know that we saw the the Sombra Corporation really start to rear its head in Wizard uh, in um, the Wastelands, and I think that's when we first heard about North Central Positronics. I don't think that it came as far back as as the Gunslinger. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I I had been open to the idea of some reinterpretation to pull in these the these. Um, stronger references to to um, the mythology of of the of the of midworld um, earlier into the story so to see broken down north central positronics technology and and to see them on on the the, the doorways i that, that got me really really excited i did like that um similarly seeing the the somber corporation with with the logo um it's never explained it's never referred to it is just a corporation um but you know, I mean, there's no real estate um, arm of, of the Samba Corporation. It's just bad guys. They're just bad guys there to to abduct children. Um, but just knowing that it's the Samba Corporation that was was really cool. Um, the can toy skin faces. It wasn't the best effect, but just seeing it um, made me happy. And at one point, like that, you know, when they're adjusting it, I did like that. 
Um, again, I wish that they had dressed as low men, but uh, but actually just seeing them and and actually seeing the the, the masks um, in the the Dixie Pig was also really unsettling. Um, so that was that that was neat. I'm glad that they kept that and and. Um, rather than just having them be like faceless monsters or just generic looking monsters, the movie did have that as well. But I, I like the attempt at, at you know having them walk around disguised as humans. Um, as I said before, the the hospital scene I thought was funny. Um, you know, Roland referring to um, Earth as Keystone Earth and just walking out and saying to Jake, fetch me my guns or something like that. It just, it was, it was good. It, it reminded me of the best parts of Thor, the first Thor. Um, and again, the best parts of Thor were the, um, the, the fish out of water elements for, for comedic value. And kind of Thor and the Dark Tower have a lot in common. They're, they're both very, very shallow, hollow movies um, that are just like, um, they're like watery milkshakes, you know? I mean, it's like going and, and getting a, a, a just a watery milkshake, and it kind of tastes like the milkshake, but it's just it's just not thick. It just doesn't really constitute as, as a milkshake. I hope that that makes sense. Um, seeing the tower. Seeing the tower on screen... Um, how we see the tower and the the lack of importance around the tower and the fact that it is just shown to us, those are knocks against it. But guys, at the end of the day, we saw a really cool realized version of the tower. And um, I was really, really into how it looked. So seeing the tower was definitely was definitely something. Um you know, Roland uh, was really, really good at his guns, and there was some fun gunplay there. Um, and I, I, I think that they've turned him into a superhero, which loses the, the importance of the fact that he just murders people. Um, and, of course, the, the people that he's murdering here are, are monsters. So, I mean, the, his deadliness is never fully realized. Um, or the danger of Roland and what he's capable of is, is never even hinted at. But what he's able to do with the guns is, is cool. Maybe not um, appropriate for what a gunslinger movie should be. Um, no, let, me, let me explain that. Um, but what I mean is thinking about what the gunslinger and what the Dark Tower, what the, what the gunslinger the character is within the world of the Dark Tower and as I mentioned the deadliness and how when he pulls out his guns sure it's cool but it's also it's also bad news and here it really is just cool 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 and don't get me wrong um, in the trailers um, and analysis of the trailers I lauded it um, I still think that his gunplay here is really, really cool. I know that I'm in the good section and I'm also throwing shade. Um, it's only because I'm thinking about what Roland could have been in a different movie. Um, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to why I'm, I'm coloring this with some negativity here, but let me just try and, and delineate this as much as possible. The, uh, what they had him do with the guns was undeniably cool. And I'll say that. I'll get to my negatives later on. Um... Hearing the, the, just the, the words of, of, um, 
of, of Midworld be used in this movie. Hearing Roland say, um, you have forgotten the face of your father. Um, hearing him say, long days and pleasant nights, may you have twice the number. Uh, these are really cool things. Um, and it was just inserted in there. You know, Jake doesn't have to comment on it and be like, what does that mean? You know, it just, it was just there. And it was one of the moments that just felt natural in the movie. A lot, most of the dialogue that came out of the actors' mouths was very, very forced, very expositional. Um, but these moments, they, they felt pure, they felt clean, um, and it was just great to hear them on screen. And of course, the, the Gunslinger's Creed, hearing that um, and hearing it taken seriously uh, was awesome. It was, it was really, really great. Um, and hearing Roland or Idris Elba utter those words was, he owned it, which brings me to my last good thing about this movie was Idris Elba. Um, it's really too bad that he didn't have a better script to work with um, or better material because he proved all the naysayers wrong. Um, anyone that was like, oh, he's not my Roland, he can't be Roland, but he was. That's the thing. The dude was great. He looked great in that outfit. I, you know, looking back now, I, I kind of miss the the, the, the the images that we get of of um, of of King's original story um, and and the cowboy archetype. But at the same time, I mean, he looked cool, and the way that he he maneuvered within that costume and that that coat that functioned like a cape um and when he used his guns he his reloading and and the way he would punch down on on the on the chambers and the you know that that mid-air reloading all of it he sold it he made it just look so cool he was good in the role um, he had that steely determination in his eye, and it just makes me mad that he wasn't given a better movie to work with. Um, because as good as Roland was in the movie, um, Roland, I can't say, was one of the best aspects of the movie, because Roland um, is not a character here. As you know, in, in the Dark Tower series, Roland is probably one of the most... Um, complex characters that Stephen King has ever, ever created. He is obsessive. He is dangerous. He is selfish. He is haunted. He is a loner. He is kingly, and yet he is lonely. And he, even though he is so hardened, he is so hardened because he loves so much and he even though he is haunted by the guilt of being um, responsible in, in different stages of the deaths of everyone he has ever cared about he still makes the same mistakes again um, and his characterization is the best metaphor that Stephen King has um, ever created for um, for addiction and, and not being able to walk away from addiction. And, you know, he is, Roland is just his, is the ultimate junkie who sacrifices everything in his life to obtain his goal. And, um, of course, you know, there's, there's consequences for that. Um, and we don't see any of that. Um, Roland does not go on an arc at all. We don't see any complexity to this character. He is just a... He's cool, he's badass, 
and that's that's really it. Which brings us to the bad. Um, so starting off with the bad elements of the movie, I would have to say the pacing. I was not opposed to a 95-minute runtime um, because I have grown more and more restless as the years have, have gone on and, and summer blockbusters have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'll never forget when the first Pirates of the Caribbean came out and then the second came out. And I don't even think I saw the third in the theater. Um, but I just didn't know why these movies were so long. These are movies about pirates on the sea. They should be zippy. They should be quick. They should be light. But they're just bogged down by so much so many characters you know so much mythology it's just it's too much um and so when i heard that there was 95 minutes of the gunslinger i wasn't opposed my problem is, is what they did with the 95 minutes um and i'm going to wind up repeating myself um, a couple bits here because the pacing has to do with um one of the more uglier aspects and i'll get to that into the ugly but um, what we get are just uh, watery scenes of what could be important moments. Sure, we see Jake doing things and Roland doing things and Walter doing things, but that's the thing. They're just doing things. Um, no time is spent actually letting any scene conversation or interaction ever breathe um what we get are just things happening um at a very very quick pace to the point where when the end comes uh it it felt it was so quick without time to explore the effects of the ending so what Walter dies, Roland kills Walter, they blow up um, Algel Ciento, uh, and then Jake and Roland leave Keystone Earth to go uh, back to Midworld. And it all happens so quickly, and it happens so matter-of-fact that it really felt like a previously on The Dark Tower, and it shows us like three little clips before catching us up to speed. And the more I thought about it, that previously on The Dark Tower, like it felt like everything that I watched was a previously on for like the, the, the sequel. That this was like a primer for the next season um, of, of, of The Dark Tower. It was unbelievable how, how quickly and how thinly that this movie was, was put together. Um, the second bad. Um, aspect in the bad category um, is the dialogue. Dialogue is, is pretty rough. Everything that comes out of everyone's mouth is so on the nose, um, so blunt, so full of exposition. Nothing feels organic. Nothing feels natural. The conversations that people have with another just don't feel... No one feels like... At no point does it ever feel like two humans are actually talking to each other. Um... So the, because the dialogue was so wooden, I don't think that it helped the actors really get into the role of, of characters. And I think that it just, it, that also hurt the performances in the movie as well. 
Um, and that goes along with the lack of characterization. These are all, all one-note characters, all of them. Idris Elba does a great job at Roland, but that's what Idris Elba is able to do with, uh, with what he was given. Tyler Tremblay, um, he, he's not, I mean, this isn't, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, this isn't Jake. I mean, this is not Jake Chambers. Um, this is just, it's a boy with, uh, in the same relationship that Jake Chambers has with with Roland, and I don't mean that he's different because he has the shine and um, that that's not what I mean. Because even in in the, the the last book or so of the Dark Tower, it was implied that he had the touch. So he has he has he has the shine. That's fine. That's in that's in character. And even if it wasn't in character, I'm not opposed to the concept um, of him having this ability um, because then it allows him to make choices and be able to impact the plot in a way that his literary counterpart was not able to do in the original Gunslinger. What I mean is is that um, he is just a very generic written kid. I mean, the, the Jake Chambers that I knew from the books was a, um, a wealthy child with two parents that... Um, one, the, the father was, you know, uh, a Trumpian businessman who just, you know, snorted cocaine all day, right? And, and I believe mom was an alcoholic. Um, and he was pretty much raised by his, his housekeeper. Um, so that aspect of Jake is just not present here. And instead, you know, he is a Patrick Danville type kid who, you know, draws a lot and has these, these troubling dreams, which... Which, you know, the, the fact that he's suffering from this condition um, of seeing things from Midworld does, you know, tie things in from, from um, the Wastelands, which I do appreciate. I just feel, though, that what we get of this character just, it was too, too generic. Um, and, and Walter, in... In descriptions of the movie and interviews that Matthew McConaughey has given, he has expressed that Walter is just evil and he's just bad and there's no other characterization to him and he's just the devil. And certainly, Matthew McConaughey plays him like that. He plays him like a supervillain um, in a bad early 90s comic book movie. Um, but that is not what Walter is. Um, and I think that that is a that's a bad interpretation of the character. Um, what I liked about Walter was the nuance to him. You know, a lot of people are still upset at the way that he goes out in, in book seven and how he's just wiped off the board before he ever has a chance to really do much of anything. And he's taken out by, by Mordred um, so quickly and so unexpectedly. But if you really look at it objectively, you see him for the buffoon that he is. He's a used car salesman that, that bought into his own hype. He's sitting there. It's actually really funny the way that King writes it of Mordred just looking at him, looking at him like this. Like he's this fool. He's got peanut butter smeared all over his face. He's laughing as he's chewing and spitting out crackers, and he's just a clown. And he, he bought into himself too much, and he let his guard down, and he goes out, he goes out like a chump. Um, I didn't like it at the time. I love it now. I think that's very appropriate. And at one point, um, Father Callahan says something to him about him being evil. And it and he looks hurt. His response is, 
genuine pain. He says, I am what Ka and the king have made me. And, you know, on some level he knows he has done horrible things, but at the same time, what we learn of him is that he was an abused child who had been raped and went on, on the road to, what, explore dark magic. But he was someone that had suffered indignity and pain as a youth, and I think that that has um, helped shape him into the, the, the quasi-immortal being that, that he, he was. Um, so just to say that he's evil, I think, is a, a, is a poor misunderstanding of, of who the, the character is, and it, the, the movie suffers because of it. Um, and, and going with that, Walter's powers. What the hell was going on with Walter's powers? It's too much. You know, I, a lot of people talked about in the trailer how he had, like, he could use, you know, Jedi powers and levitate stuff. And I'm, I'm fine with that because he's a character that, that can cheat death and, you know, bop around and, uh, so I'm, and shapeshift and be dim. So, I mean, he, he's always had, and he can use fire and he can bring people back from the dead. So he's always had powers in him and I'm fine with that. It's just... We also, I also got a sense from the, the book interpretations of Walter, Man in Black, Randall Flagg, was that there was a charlatan quality to him, that what we were seeing, he was definitely playing himself up and trying to seem more powerful than he actually was. Not to say that he wasn't dangerous, not to say that he wasn't bad news, because he certainly was. But... I, one, one thing that we saw was that he, whenever the going got rough, he skedaddled as quickly as possible. Whereas this Walter um, is much more hands-on and he is much more aggressive in what he can do. Um, but he also, he can shoot fireballs, he can kill you just by talking to you, he can burn you alive, he can, like, it... It's a little too much and a little too uh, ill-defined for me to, to get a sense of, of what he, he can do. Um, and then we have, I guess what I would call the lack of familiarity. So, yes, I know that Midworld looks like an alien planet, but to me it doesn't look like Midworld, and that suffered. Um... They definitely made the choice to to step away from the iconography that that King originally presented to us. Um, I don't know why that is, but looking back at it now, I I think that this was a, a great missed opportunity and a swing and a miss on them to reinterpret the the images that that King gave us that Michael Whelan helped give us as far back in uh, in the Gunslinger. Yes, the Western motif started to dwindle as soon as we hit the drawing of the three. And then by the wastelands, we're in the forests, and then we get to Ludd, and um, we go back to New York, and, and I would say in the wastelands, that's when the mythology of the Dark Tower really starts to establish itself. But I think that there is a potency to the clashing images um, of the, the cowboy archetype and the wizard archetype that we get in, in The Gunslinger, and to completely strip the story of all of the imagery that comes with the Old West was a mistake. Um, now, I understand why they wanted to spruce up Idris Elba um, and 
you know, I mean, there are cowboy elements to his his costume, but he doesn't. He's not like what I would call a cowboy. Um, I I think that I think that they should have dressed him up more like a cowboy, and I think that they should have done something different with with Walter now. If you go back into the Gunslinger and and read the descriptions of the Man in Black, he the the idea that you had this guy running across the desert um, wearing cloaks, that came more from Michael Whelan uh, illustrations and fan art, um, and I believe a a bleeding into of the character from uh, Eyes of the Dragon because in in The Gunslinger, if I remember correctly, he is described as having a hood, but he's also like wearing a lot of a lot of denim and like boots. I just the the image that I had when I first read it as a child was that he was, you know, draped in like a cloak and I I just don't think that he had those robes that um, that I had come to um, picture him as having. With that said, I think that would have been awesome to actually see to see a cowboy chasing a wizard through the the old west. I think that there's something to be said about that, um, and to completely take us away from the purity of of that setting. Uh, made for a very generic-looking, post-apocalyptic, dystopian future, why adult, you know, why a fantasy movie. It nothing was memorable, um, and if they had leaned into King's descriptions and leaned into what King had given us, then I I think that this movie would have been a lot memorable. But it. It didn't. It did the exact opposite. It 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 it, it just changed things um, because it could, and I don't think that changed things in a way that 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 helped the movie. So I, I wish that they had um, really leaned into to King's um, original descriptions because the way that the the story originally unfolds is we get that idea of a cowboy in the the old west and there's something that we can sink our teeth into there's something familiar about that and then the more we start to learn about this character we learn that something's off that it's not just the old west that something's going on here then we meet um, Brown and Zoltan and I'm fine with them not being in the movie I don't need them in the movie but I do like that through it through that conversation, we learn that this whoa, this isn't necessarily our world here, um, and yet Zoltan is is singing the beans, beans, musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you too, and so something's going on where there is some link. Okay, and we back off a little bit, and then you know um, he gets to the 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 way station, or not the way station, but um, you know we get the flashback to to Tall. And in Tall, it's your your typical Western town. And then there's the there's Sheb's saloon, and uh, they're they're playing um, Hey Jude. And that's when things start to get really interesting and mysterious and uneasy. That what is going on here? That we're so far in the future that 
that things have reverted to an old Western type. And then we learn that not only are we in the future, we are so far in the future that in between our timeline and um, Roland's timeline, society and civilization massively evolved in terms of technology. And then ruin came about. And then from that ruin eventually evolved another society which led to, to Roland. So all of that gets teased um, throughout the, the original um, Gunslinger. And I like that gradual reveal um, because we're in it every step of the way. It makes every reveal matter and mean something. Whereas here, which there's portals. It's the first thing that we see. It's it's the alien technology um, of North Central Positronics. It's the first thing that we see. So it loses all impact. It doesn't mean anything, and it's everywhere in this movie. Um, so I mean, so much of the original King books, there's there's a ratio to the the magic and the technology, and that ratio is not here in in this movie. And because we don't get that same ratio, we shouldn't be surprised that the, it doesn't... It's like you're not following the directions of the ingredients when you're making a meal, so no wonder it tastes awful. You know what I mean? Um, so then we have plot holes and inconsistencies. So not only is this movie just kind of doing its own thing, um, and I should say this, if I haven't already, and apologize, I apologize if, if I'm really repeating myself here. I understand, and I was one of the people that was on the front lines um, touting this and celebrating this concept, that this is another go-around on the wheel of Ka, so things don't necessarily have to be the same. I understand that. I get it. I just don't think that what they did with that was well done. I think that it resulted with a poor movie, and I don't think that even as a sequel, they leaned into it too much. It gave them the excuse. Um, what it was, it was just a backdoor excuse. It wasn't part of the plot. It was a way that they could explain the changes, um, and the changes weren't organic to... The, the story of, of Jake and Roland. Um, so, I get it. I get that he has the Horn of Eld. It's not the, it's not the same time. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. I just don't think that it was, it was done well, um, which leads me to the, the, the inconsistencies. Um, so, I mean, I, if you're going to tell a movie or tell a story, just make sure that you can't come up with criticisms like the ones I'm about to give. So Roland and Jake, they go to Keystone Earth. They go to Jake's apartment, okay? And Jake realizes that his mother has been burned, and he starts to look into it using the shine. And um, Roland says, don't do it because they'll be able to track him if he uses the shine. Um, and Walter was just doing that to get under his skin and set a trap. So if Walter left a the, the, the smoking ruins of Jake's mother behind in his apartment because he knew that that would be emotionally devastating, which would cause Jake to use the shine, which would then you know activate the beaking signal 
which would then allow Walter and his goons to go get Jake at his mother's house, where Walter had been to murder his mother. Why didn't Walter just stay in Jake's house? Or why didn't he just have his goons watching the house or have one of the Cantoy just there waiting? You know, like, it, 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 that doesn't make sense to me. Just like in... So they go to this village where they're going to send Roland and Jake to a to Keystone Earth um, using a portal so then they can go to another portal on Keystone Earth so they can get to another place in Midworld. Like, come on. That's too much. Like, I understand the books. I get the books. I like the books. For someone that doesn't, that's not walking into it with that love, that is going to look ridiculous. And there's no rules here to the use of technology. There's no consistency. There's no explanation why they have to go to this one to use that one so they can use that one. But it, it's just do this because the plot is requiring us to, to do that. Um, I, I don't get it. Um, so, and, and here's, here's another thing. What happens to all of the breakers? The movie is established by having all of these children, uh, who are enslaved to, to Walter, um, so that they can harness the, the shine to bring down the, the tower, right? But at the end of the movie, with one magic bullet, Roland, um, blows up the Algel Ciento. What happens to all of the kids? Are they in their houses and are they all free to what? Just die in the wastelands of, of Midworld? Like what happens to those kids? Um, and that is ridiculous, by the way, that, that, that one bullet shot, that is, that is some like family guy shit right there. That was, that was bad. Um, also, why don't Walter's magics, uh, work on Roland? Uh, that's never explained so so much of Walter's magic is never explained, but why is he able to tell a little girl to hate, tell someone to stop breathing, tell someone to burn, tell um, two people to fight each other to death? Why is he able to do this? And that's some pretty serious power and ability right there. He's like a supercharged um, uh, Andy McGee from, from Firestarter. But why is he able to do all that but not on Roland, that's never explained. And that just doesn't, that doesn't really make any sense. And the thing that is bad and probably should be um, in the ugly category is that Roland is a supporting character in his own movie. Um, I understood going into this why Jake could be the star of this movie. I just didn't realize how poor of a decision that was. Now seeing it, you realize just how much of that potency is lost um, because it's not about the gunslinger. The, this is not the guns. It, you see, like my brain is just frying, trying to rationalize why they did this. You're, you're making a movie based on seven books. Um, I don't consider Went Through the Keyhole one of the, 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 the Dark Tower books. I consider it like a 0. .5. So 7.5 books um, 
with numerous tie-ins um, that revolve around one character's quest to reach the Dark Tower and how it ripples, his, his decisions ripple through the multiverse. And when it comes time to make a movie, you don't make him the main character. That is baffling to me. Um, you know, so much has been written, so much has been said, and there's so much, so much importance to that opening line, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. And um, I know that Stephen King, in one interview, he had said something along the lines of he had insisted that that's how the movie began. Um, we get that line reading. It happens um, about 20 or so minutes into the film. It, it happens by someone speaking off screen. I believe it's the seer from that village. It means nothing. Um, it is simply there as an Easter egg, and that's it. It does not reference anything that's happening in the movie. It certainly doesn't um, reference the, the, the relationship between the gunslinger and the man in black because the man in black is not fleeing across the desert. His, his goal is to not escape Roland. Um, Roland is trying to get the man in black. Yep, Roland is in the Mohane. Yep, but um, but he doesn't seem to have a, a, a singular pursuit. He does want to kill Walter, but he seems kind of dumb <laughs> for not understanding that justifying Walter. All you have to do is just look at the, the, the giant beam in the sky that you keep seeing every night that is connected to the earthquakes. Um, I mean, he knows that the beams are being affected. At one point, he refers to them as the beam quake. Um, and in this interpretation of the, the movie, uh, of the story... The, the gunslingers are not just there to represent order. Um, they really are there to protect the tower. So Roland's quest is not... Because Ro when Roland found proof in, in the um, Merlin's grapefruit, um, in the pink grapefruit in, in Wizarding Glass of the tower, everyone thought he was crazy. And we're like, nah, dude, the, the tower is just a myth. Um, and he was like, no, there is a tower and I have to go find it. So the gunslingers aren't there for the tower. In the movie, they are there for the tower. So Walter killing the gunslingers definitely means that he's trying to take out the tower. So when you see a beam in the sky that is affecting the tower and it's causing beam quakes everywhere and Roland doesn't seem to know where to find Walter is doesn't make our... <laughs> can't even call it a hero because he's not the hero of the movie, but doesn't make this character look all that bright or his mission to be all that um, uh, encompassing of every aspect of, of, of his nature. So, yeah, I mean, by, by sidelining him in his own movie, it, it turns him into a very one-dimensional, just badass kind of figure. And like I said earlier, all of the nuance and all of the complexity that, that made Roland Stephen King's greatest, greatest um, character ever written all of that is rendered useless and meaningless. Um, and it makes me mad because you, you, you see what Idris Elba could have done. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, and in the movie, they, they do reference Arthur and Excalibur. And you could see the, the kingliness in Idris Elba. You, you could see him be dangerous. You could see these things. You could see him be able to do it if 
if he had worked with a better script. But unfortunately, um, this was Jake's story, not Roland's story. And um, it just, it, that, that didn't work. Okay, um, now we get to the ugly, the ugly aspects. Um, this is a movie that suffers from a massive identity crisis. First of all, it doesn't seem like a movie. Like I said, it feels like someone read the Wikipedia summary of The Dark Tower and made a movie based on bullet points without a deep understanding, which is astounding to me because everyone that was involved has more than a deep understanding of The Dark Tower mythos and lore. Um, so this, aside from the fact that this is just cobbled together with references to other aspects of, of the books and other Stephen King books, the movie itself and the personality of the movie, the voice of the movie, the perspective of the movie, the pace of the movie, the decisions made within the movie, the bloodlessness of the movie, the, um, the generic quality of this movie, the, the lack of perspective of this movie, all of this just shows that it doesn't know what it wants to be. Is this a superhero movie? Is this a young adult adaptation? Um, is it a faithful adaptation where it is continuing the, the plot threads left over from the, the last Dark Tower book in which our main character is able to restart his, his life on another um, wheel of Ka? Um, is it a reimagining? Is it, uh, you know, is it any of these things? Is it all of these things? It is all of these things, but because it's all of these things, it makes for a watered-down movie because it's also none of these things. If they had just said, you know what, we're gonna, I'm gonna be completely honest with you guys, I'm gonna make um, a PG-13 superhero movie, and that's the, how we're gonna treat it, and then if they did that, I could at least judge it by superhero standards. Um, if it was a YA movie, I could judge it by YA standards. If it was a straight-up adaptation of The Gunslinger, I could judge it for, for what it is. But it, it was a little bit of all of that, and as a result, it just suffered from identity crisis, and it was just a big pile of nothing. You know? It's like... I was thinking about this. It was like the, the, the Dark Tower series was so fucking weird. All aspects of... Those novels are seriously crazy. The, the, the idea that you have this, this knight who is a super cowboy um, who is chasing this wizard in a far-flung post-apocalyptic western landscape where our littered, our, our um, evidence of an ancient society and... You, you, you meet this child who has been plunked down here from 1970s New York. Because he had been killed in New York, he winds up here, and there are these zombie-like mutants um, roaming this landscape. Um, and then there's some uh, stonehenge thrown in there for good measure, um, and there had been a civil war in the past, and now there are these freestanding doors and Roland can possess these, these three people, and he can bring them into our world, and Roland starts fighting the mafia, and he gets his fingers cut off by these talking lobsters, and in the, the next book he has to go, and he has to rescue the child that he murdered in the first book, um, even though this is cause, you know, and if he doesn't do it, he's going to go insane from this, um, 
the, this time sickness that he has because this was the the man in black's ultimate plan to to drive him insane um and he they have to fight this giant robot bear and then they have to uh um go draw a a, a door in the dirt and uh carve a wooden knob to fit in the dirt at the same time that the boy in new york goes into a haunted house that comes alive and the the it it, it starts to try and eat him then they reunite and he gets a talking raccoon and they go to a futuristic version of new york city that is now in ruins and there are two camps of warring factions um one led by someone named the tiktok man who has a pirate as a sidekick and they all worship this talking sentient insane train and they all get on the train and they start speaking riddles to the train and it's a life or death um uh it, 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 it's a life and death war of riddles to this train and if they win then the train will take them to where they need to go and then they wind up going to an alternative topeka kansas that happens to um exist in a world where captain trips from the stand has occurred and everyone's dead but at the same time there is also uh the the, the emerald city from the wizard of oz there whereupon sits randall flag from the stand who also happens to be the man in black who also happens to be the uh guy that was banging roland's mom uh who roland acts killed because in the past he had been kind of possessed by this little uh crystal ball that looks like grapefruit that the wizard that the the wicked witch of the west for all intents and purposes had become addicted to and then you know roland's the love of his life uh was burned alive and then when he got back he was still under the effects of it and he shot his mother now he's killed his mother um and in the the present he has a showdown with this guy that was having an affair with his mother and then they move on the next book um, they wind up having to fight a bunch of Dr. Doom robots um, on horseback who wield lightsabers um, with the help of uh, a, a vampire fighting priest from Salem's Lot and they have to fight an evil C-3PO um, all the while Susanna is um, suffering from a possession of a, another entity because she's now pregnant with Roland's child because when Roland in the first book um, had sex with this speaking ring demon it took his semen and then went uh, to another place um, in midworld and they did some technological magic mumbo jumbo to create an artificial um, being that was then uh, reinserted into uh, <laughs> into Susanna by another speaking demon in the third book and then it is it comes out as this shape-shifting little spider baby that then eats the guy that had been sleeping with, with Roland's mom, who happens to be Randall Flagg from The Stand, who happens to be Flagg from Eyes of the Dragon um, and The Man in Black. And then, um, then they have to go basically to the Burbs, and the Burbs is taking place in Midworld. Um, in the thunderclap under an artificial sun where all of these people who have all of these psychic powers are trying to bring about the the end of the world um and it's insane like that is just a a a, a small little look at this at this story and none of that none of that is in this movie thinking more about it now originally i didn't have much of an issue that it wasn't rated r but yeah, now that I think about it, it 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 really should have been R-rated, and and not for the sake of being R, but because the material lends itself to being R, and with an R rating, along with it, along with it would come danger, um, 
all of this movie, it, like I said, were just scenes that were happening. And at no point did I ever feel that there was any danger, which leads to my next point is that there was just no tension in this movie. Um, partially because I didn't care about the characters and partially because scenes flitted through the plot without building any momentum, Jake encounters the doorway demon and defeats the doorway demon by telling it to stop. And um, then Roland encounters uh, a Thinny, never mentions it by the name of Thinny, and then um, then he has to defeat the Thinny creature, and then we never see another Thinny or any other creatures, and the, the orcs or whatever the hell they are, they're basically just super orcs, um, uh, they show up, Roland kills them, and then Roland takes out a hundred people and monsters in the Dixie Pig, and he fights Sare, and he nothing happens, and him fighting Sare is no different from him fighting anyone else, and then he fights Walter, and then he beats Walter, and he beats Walter the same way he wanted to beat Walter the first time with a bullet, and it's like Batman fighting Bane in The Dark Knight Rises when his mode of attack and his his grand scheme to beat Bane the first time around was to punch him in the face a bunch of times, and he lost by doing that, and then he trained really hard to punch him in the face even better the next time, and the next time he did it by punching him in the face, that time it worked. Same thing here. Roland's big plan to beat Walter was to shoot him, and then he wasn't able to beat him by shooting him but he was able to beat him by shooting him the second time. So, I mean, stuff like that, there's just a, a complete lack of tension. Uh, and it, it just really... I mean, how can I buy into this movie if I just at no point do I feel as though there are any stakes? Because there aren't any stakes. This is a movie with nothing less than the fate of existence and the concept of existence on the line. And um, it, it just... There's, there's no tension there are no stakes, there's no threat, there's no danger um, in this movie. Uh, they say that there's, there's danger, and they say that, you know, the, the tower will fall, but they, they fail to, to illustrate why that's a bad thing. Sure, monsters will come in, but how generic is that, you know? Um, that in and of itself is a whole issue, the fact they failed the tower completely. Um, the tower in this movie is repurposed to be a thing of good. It is, it is, it is to keep the monsters at bay. And that's not what the tower, the tower is the hub of existence. It's, it's, it's almost, in, it's indifferent to the concepts of, of good and evil. It, it is there. It is a, the foundation upon which this universe and all universes have been built. It is the mind of God. And, um, here it's, it's to keep the bad guys away. And it's, it's such a, children's retelling um watered down version of of what the, the tower is and it takes away all of the nuance and because someone wants to tear it down it's a bad guy and clearly roland's a good guy because he wants to save it and you know why does walter want the tower to come down i mean in the in the books um you know the the man in black is a nudge you know he's a trickster figure he's getting in roland's way um, and then the, 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 the Crimson King, he wants to bring the tower down, not from any major gain. He doesn't want to get power. He doesn't want any of these things. What he really wants, just why he wants to get off the goddamn tower because he's trapped up there. That is clear motivation. 
there's no motivation for any character here in this movie, um, and that the, the movie suffers unbelievably as a result because of the lack of tension, the, the lack of motivation, and the fact that every single scene is dry, perfunctory, to the point, um, so matter-of-fact, um, generic, unimportant. No scene is delivered with any flair whatsoever. When we first meet Roland, this should be a giant moment. It is not treated as a giant moment. Actually, the first time we meet Roland is in a dream sequence in which he is getting his ass handed to him by the man in black. The first time we see the man in black, he waltzes in like like a bad guy, um, not like the man in black. Um, so these scenes that should have moments of import do not. Um, I would say that the, the, the biggest moment of, wow, that's cool, this was treated with more weight than other scenes, actually happened in the trailer, and it was the, um, the, the gunslinger's creed uh, that, that happened at the end of the trailer when Roland was able to shoot the guy that was fleeing with Jake. Uh, that was a well-done scene that, you know, I, I think still worked in the movie just to a lesser degree uh, than, than it did in the trailer. But there's no scene like that. There's no, there's no fluctuation of, of importance or a distribution of, of weight to character beats or moments and I think of clearly I, I think of Tarantino because Tarantino knows exactly how every single beat and every single moment of every single scene should should play out and renders each scene thusly Spielberg also knows how to do it when he knows that the, the, the shark needs to be revealed he knows how to make that happen when the Tyrannosaurus Rex appears on the scene, he knows how to make it larger than life. Think about the ending of Jurassic Park when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. These things, they matter, they mean something because Spielberg made us believe in it. Joss Whedon is also very effective at doing this. He knows how to make a scene cool. Um, I'm thinking more of his, his comic book work, but he knows how to distill a scene and um, make it memorable, make it last, make a character introduction when... Kitty Pride sees Colossus for the first time again. That's a powerful moment when Wolverine um, and Colossus do the, the fastball special or speedball special. Fastball special. Um, you know, Logan just says he's got an idea. Two words. Next page is a double splash page. You know, moments like that, they work and they're special because the creators decided to make them special. That is not on play here. The, 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 when the, the, the man in black and Roland first meet, that should be electric. But the fact of the matter is, we see them meet again at the same time when we meet Roland. It's in that dream sequence. Um, the, 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 the opening line to the, 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 the gunslinger should have been in this movie, and it should have mattered, and it should have resounded throughout the movie, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, and we did not get that. Um, so these things did not matter because the fail, the film failed to make them matter. And, like, the Dixie Pig, you know, or the Dutch Hill Demon, or, or, or really anything. I mean, like, like I said, Jake was just able to beat the Dutch Hill Demon, and then Roland was able to just blow up 
all of uh, the Algel Ciento with the kids, and he was just able to kill Walter, and then nothing, there's no feeling, there's no minute to breathe or explore how the characters feel after these moments, or what they mean, or whether these they th- th- these moments should matter. I mean, every moment is treated, you know that, that one scene where like they're crossing the river, and it's just for a split second, and just, it's there to show the passing of time, and it's it's to show the, the arduous journey that they're on, it's just to to just give us that 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 feeling every scene is like that every moment is like that there it's not greater or lesser than that it's just there like anything else in this movie it's just there um like the dixie pig they they just give us the dixie pig and it's just a generic place of bad guys now think about how the dixie pig was rendered in the books and what king managed to do with the dixie pig in the books he built it up he he got the name out there and the dixie pig you know we started to question what is the dixie pig why is this important and then when jake and callahan get to the dixie pig and the limousines are arriving and the mist starts to curl around the gutters around the dixie pig and then they enter the dixie pig and it's just a who's who of monsters, of nightmarish boogeymen that lurk under beds and closets, all there for a grotesque feast. We have uh, members of the Cantoy, the Low Men, Tahin, vampires of different classes and subspecies, all there feasting on on humans, on babies, and celebrating the impending birth of Mordred, the spider god, and it's just nightmarish, and Susanna being paraded through this this banquet hall as they're all leering and laughing and clapping and celebrating, that's horrific, people wearing, uh, or monsters wearing the faces of people, and, and, and other monsters just being monstrous, it, it is... It is terrifying. It's nightmare fuel. And then when Jake and Oi and Callahan descend upon it, it is two two people, uh, uh, an old man and a boy and a talking animal against nightmares um, personified. And it's terrifying and it's thrilling. And it also includes one of the most triumphant works um, moments that, that Stephen King ever gave us with Callahan's redemption. But none of that, none of that is here in the movie. It's just the Dixie Pig. That's all it is. It's just a place where bad guys are. It's just a lair. That's all that it is. Just like Algel Ciento is just a secret evil base for Walter. Um, just like the portals are just portals that we've seen before in in other movies and other television shows. Um, it's just there. They're just there. It means nothing. It doesn't leave you with feeling. It's just there. In the books, King took his time to differentiate why these portals were a little bit different. Like, I talked about the ratio between magic to science. He, he was able to come at it from a perspective where it mattered, and it was a little bit different. And then he was able to build up character introductions. He was able to build up confrontations and subvert our expectations. And he was able to make these moments last in our minds for the rest of our lives. And I forgot about 90% of the movie by the time I left the doors of the theater. So all of this just means that Jake and Roland failed to have a relationship because it was unimportant. 
Walter's motivation didn't exist because he didn't have a motivation. Um, and Roland doesn't have an arc. That's another thing. You know, I mean, he... Think about this. It's Jake's story. That's bad enough. And then Roland is a character who has given up his quest to find the tower. Now, keep in mind that the quest has been changed, where he's not, to, he's not going to find the tower. He's just there to save it. And the only reason he's there to save it is because the gunslingers, that's what they do. And I've talked about how that's not really what the gunslingers do. That's been repurposed. And so the guy's whole quest has been changed. And even from that change... It's further been changed because he's not there to protect the tower. He's there to kill Walter. However, killing Walter and protecting the tower function exactly the same. So it's not as if he's giving, he's, he has to make a choice at any point. So him killing Walter, him saving Jake, and him saving the tower all can, be, all, all can happen by just killing Walter. So it doesn't matter when Jake shows up if Roland met or did not meet Jake he could still find Walter because there's a giant beam shooting out of the sky and he can still kill Walter. And by killing Walter, he'll save Jake, kill Walter, avenge his father, and save the tower. It's too neat. At no point does Roland go through any sort of arc whatsoever. When Jake meets him, he says he's not a gunslinger anymore. Therefore, he doesn't. he's not about saving the tower. He's about killing the man in black. But like I said, it amounts to the same thing. And he gets to know Jake, and his big, like, emotional moment is, and it was in the trailers, he says, I'll kill him for both of us. Okay, that's great. You're still going to kill this guy, but now you're just not going to do it selflessly. You're going to do it for this kid, too. So that, that's a great journey that our character has taken there. Um, yeah, and then ultimately, he, he does do it with a bullet, two bullets, and then he kills Walter, and then... That's it. He just kills Walter, and, and no one cares. Um, so the, there's just there's nothing. There's just nothing to Roland as a character. There's nothing to his character arc. He ends the movie really the same way that, that he began the movie, um, which is just awful. Like I said, th this is a an A-class actor that really could have done something with the role, had he been given something to, to work with. I would have liked to have seen him go on an emotional journey. Um, but at no point, he's just, he's one note. And that's not a knock on Idris Elba. Because he is by the, far the best thing in this movie. It's just that note that he was given to play. Um, he wasn't asked to give anything, anything more. Now, why, why, why... Do we have Crimson King graffiti on the walls? What? Why is that a thing? Because if I didn't know who the Crimson King was, I would just assume that the Crimson King is uh, Walter because he's clearly the bad guy and everyone's at his beck and call, so he's got to be the Crimson King. Um, I mean, clearly I know who the Crimson King is, but no one references the Crimson King. No one talks about the Crimson King. There's just... I guess, I guess they just tantamount to, to Easter eggs on the wall. Um, and then lastly, it's just... the This kind of goes to the fact that all of these scenes are rendered with such unimportance. There is just um, such a limited perspective. And for a, a concept that, that deals with multiverses and alternate timelines and um, fixing the, the, the past and time loops and... 
um, vampires and talking animals and talking trains and, um, you know, all of this, this crazy stuff. It was just so generic a concept and delivered so generic and with such small scope, you know. I mean, even the scenes of New York don't seem big. It just seems like it was filmed in, like, one block and Midworld did not seem huge. And one of the things about Midworld that really separates The Dark Tower from other sci-fi, either sci-fi novels or fantasy novels, is the fact that reality is crumbling so drastically that concepts like space and time are changing. So the physical space of Midworld is growing as time is starting to lose its consistency. So things like that could have been played with so interestingly. And they never did. They, they, never, they never played with that. Um, and we got a very boring version of Midworld that doesn't look any different from any other dystopian or post-apocalyptic um, story, which is so run-of-the-mill and generic at this point. And I wonder if some of the studio notes were, were asked to make it look like that because that is palatable and that's something that, we, that the, the viewers can understand, whereas they should have just really leaned into the weird. And they, uh, they didn't. They did anything but. They made this safe. They made it small. They made it palatable. Um, and ultimately, they just they, they, they made it boring. You know, the, the, the Dark Tower books, reading that experience was like was like a um, gourmet cheeseburger, okay? Um, a, a grass-fed beef um, served on a, you know, artisan roll. And, um, you know, you just the, you, when you take one bite, it's, it's cooked to perfection, and it's, it's juicy, and it's lean, and um, the, it's, it's just everything that you wanted a burger to be. Um, so that's what the books were like. And the movie is like going to like a hospital cafeteria and just getting like a frozen patty. You know, it, it, it tastes fine. It's not good. You wouldn't recommend it being like, hey, go to this hospital or the cafeteria. The burgers are to die for. It, you know, might, you know, kind of fill you up for about 20 minutes. Um, but, you know, it, it did its job, but it, it's going to be unmemorable. That's the Dark Tower. It's a watery milkshake. You know, you want like a thick, rich milkshake, and what you got instead was just, just, just a watery milkshake without any consistency. That's what this movie is. Like, look at the, the big scene in, in Jake's dream, the fall of the gunslingers, right? Where it was supposed to be the, the, the last stand of Roland and his father and, and the affiliation. I think there's like maybe two guys on the ground that, that uh, Walter strolls by, and in like like five feet of forest like there is no vision here there's no scope and maybe that's because of budget maybe but this is i i I don't want to tell nikolai arcel or the producers how to do their jobs but this is a big moment this is the fall of order within a civilization and if budget restraints are not allowing you to show corpses on a battlefield, then we need to find a different way to to really convey that emotional punch, an emotional and visual punch. 
Uh, it just looked like dead, a couple dead guys. Uh, and that was it. That, that, that's the movie. It was just like, it, it was just a, like a thumbnail version of, of what it should have been. Um, the movie wasn't good, guys. The movie wasn't good. And every day that passes, the more I dislike it. When I left, I was like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, based on what I had heard. That was my initial thought. But every day that passed, and the more I turned it over in my mind, and how forgettable it was, especially when you compare it to the books, it just got me more and more frustrated. And, you know, I was willing to accept changes. I was willing to, uh, to buy the, the, the PG-13 or the, the fact that they were going to treat Walter the, the way... They weren't going to subvert the character way that King did, but they were going to actually build him up to be a threat. I was going to, you know, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll take it. Like, there was so much I was going to just kind of accept. Um, but they didn't even deliver on on what this movie could have been based on the direction they took with it. It just, as, as a Dark Tower movie, it failed. As a movie itself, it failed. Um, it is a, unfortunately, a failure of a movie. So, I know that Nikolai Arcel had ideas for a sequel, and I know that he had said that Oi would be in the sequel. Well, guys, we're not getting a sequel. And I know that there's even still talk of a television show coming out for Wizard and Glass. Glenn Mazzara from um, The Walking Dead has been tapped for it, uh, to, to showrun it. Well, I'm telling you, like, that's nice. It's good talk. But I guarantee you that show, it's just not happening. It is not happening. You know, this movie is going to be number one this weekend at a measly $19 million. Um, so technically the studio can say, well, it was a number one hit. Um, but even if it does make some money, it has gotten so panned by critics that there's there's no cultural cachet to 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 propel a sequel to this movie. Because, you know, you also got to think that, hey, another Sony property, Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man movies did well. They, they made money. Diminishing returns, but they still made money. Um... Even though they made money, the critical consensus was so bad that it was in their best interest to hand over the reins to um, to Marvel Studios. So just because it's going to make money, that's not enough. It needed to latch on to the, the cultural conversation, and it did in a way, but only because it was pretty much agreed upon that it was just not a good movie and people are going to talk about that they're not going to talk about the qualities of the movie itself they're just going to talk about how bad the movie was not about what they want to see in a sequel uh, i think the conversation around the dark tower will always be what could have been and that doesn't mean i don't think that we're never going to see another adaptation of the dark tower uh, because for good or for ill, it now exists in audiovisual format. Um, and it now has, it was going to allow the next creative team, it's going to give them some traction to move forward, to move as far away 
from what um, Akiva Goldsman and Nikolai Arcel and Sony Pictures gave us. Um, and it will allow the next creative group to, to hew closer to the books. Now, I don't expect this to happen within five years, ten years, but within the next 20 years, we'll get another... Someone, someone else will, will get a crack at this because every year that passes... The less, um, I don't want to say less original we, we get, but remakes, reboots, uh, you know, movies based on some existing property uh, are almost guarantees for studios. They're, they're easily sold because the, the, um, the, the word is already out there in, in the minds of, of viewers, and all the studios have to do then is just capitalize on what is already out there rather than having to build from ground zero. So what what Nikolai Arcel and Akiva Goldsman and Ron Howard and, and uh, Sony Pictures did for us is they, they gave us um, a uh, very weak structure, but it was a foundation, and it's going to be a foundation that others will be able to build on sometime in the future. Um, I don't think it's anytime soon, but... Uh, don't worry, guys. Don't uh, don't give up faith. At some point, we will see another um, Dark Tower adaptation. So that's my thoughts. Um, but uh, over the weekend, I did ask others to to share in, um, to write in and share what what you think of of the Dark Tower movie, um, because I want as many people talking about it as possible. And I got a lot of of people. Um, so up first, we have um, from John, who writes, Dear Constant Reader, First, let me start by saying thank you. I've been a constant reader since I picked up a copy of Eyes of the Dragon when I was 15 years old. I'm now 28, so that seems like a lifetime ago. Since then, I've consumed many of King's works, and I always love discussing them with other readers. I was overjoyed when I discovered your podcast about a year ago. Rereading every book in the chronological order and providing a comprehensive review sounds incredibly daunting, but I want you to know your reviews have provided me with countless hours of entertainment. Your analyses are always well-informed and come across like a deep-dive academic approach. While I love the reviews of King's written works, I do always get a kick out of your reviews of his shall we say that less, um, less than stellar film adaptations. I remember laughing so hard during the Sometimes They Come Back episode that I received a bunch of weird looks at work. I, just like you, was very much looking forward to the Dark Tower movie. While I do love King's other works, it being a new favorite, as I just read that last year, I am first and foremost a Tower junkie. Ever since I finished reading the Dark Tower cycle just about ten years ago, I've been hearing rumors about film adaptations that would eventually fizzle out. I had eventually become jaded and thought we would never see Roland's journey to the big or small screen. When news broke about a year and a half ago that this film actually getting made, I went to a state of euphoria. Finally, all of my non-reader friends would get to see everything I loved about the books, the weird mixture of a western horror and sci-fi with a dash of Tolkien's sense of epic grandeur. After the bizarre marketing strategy, or lack of one altogether, I became worried about the film again. When the reviews on the film were launched on Wednesday, my worry turned to dread, but I think this actually helped me in the long run. I went to see The Dark Tower last night with the extremely low expectations. I was ready to see a train wreck of Blaine the Model-like proportions. Instead, I saw a very rushed flick with poor lighting and a mostly stilted performance by Matthew McConaughey. There were parts of this movie that I loved. Idris Elba does a great job at bringing Roland to life, which is no easy feat with so little dialogue. 
Tom Taylor's Jake, I thought, was also very good. I feel like the movie's best scenes featured these two, and I wish we actually had a longer runtime to explore their relationship on screen. I previously said that McConaughey was stilted, but this probably isn't his fault. The movie weaves in and out so much, and it doesn't seem like he was just there to provide some exposition. I almost... I must also say that the scene where the man in black kills Stephen DeShane is so powerful it almost ruins the entire movie for me. While there are numerous flaws with the movie, I can't say I hated it. Roland coming back to Earth and interacting with a modern world absolutely works. Elba completely sells the man out of time really well. Also, that scene with Walter and Roland in the gun shop was fantastic. Walter appearing as a phantom from another world is really a brilliant idea. Could this be the way he escaped death at the hands of the gunsinger in the books? It's interesting to think about. While King may not have had that in his mind while writing the series years ago, we do know the gunsinger's past, just like time itself, is always shifting and changing things. Sorry for the insanely long email. As you can see, I can ramble on about all things Dark Tower. I saw you on your Twitter account. You were... You two were not completely happy with the movie. I can't tell if maybe I'm just too much of a fanboy to see this movie was a total pile of crap or if there are some actual good things that were happening. I look forward to your review to the podcast. Keep the good work. John. John, uh, thanks for writing in. Um, looks like your your thoughts are a little bit more positive and open-minded than mine. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe... Um, Maybe it's it's grown in estimation in your mind, or, or maybe it has... Because uh, when I first saw it, like I said, I, I liked it a little bit more than, than I do now. So hopefully... I, I honestly hope that, that people like it. Um, but I, I definitely wanted others to, to write in, because I, I want your thoughts. Like, like here, we have Jake, who writes, Hello, Constant Caster. I'd like to share some thoughts about the movie, but I have to couch it in a little personal backstory. Last October, I lost my big brother. Stephen King and the Dark Tower, in particular, were the strongest connection we shared. He was seven years older than me, and we didn't really have a ton in common. I distinctly remember reading The Wastelands and being able to instantly connect with my brother as he was excited to watch and share in my own journey to the Tower. Through the years, the most highly anticipated event in our lives was this movie. When he passed away last year, I wrote a note on the inside cover of his copy of The Gunslinger, and put his favorite book to rest alongside him. One of the most harsh reminders of his loss has been all the awesome DT events that I wanted to share with him. When I first saw the poster, my first thought was to text him. When I realized that the movie's first showing was at 1919 on a date that added up, that added up to 19, I couldn't wait to talk to him about it. Of course, they, these were quick thoughts punctuated by a reminder of his loss. Not being able to share and revel in these events with him has put a new spin on how I perceive these books. So when I went to the showing yesterday, it was safe to say that it was a bit more than just seeing a movie. When they first showed the tower reaching up through the ceiling of clouds, I felt that after all the years and heartache, I had personally finally reached the tower. Just like Roland, I was reminded of those lost along the way. The movie wasn't great. In all actuality, it wasn't even good. However, there were moments that I had always hoped to see that were realized. Of course, it was disjointed, rushed, and over-edited, but it did have a few redeeming qualities. Aside from a few characterization flaws, Idris Elba was excellent. The whole hospital scene, including the sly Billy Bumber reference, was awesome. The spats of gunplay were pretty good. The references to Shining, It, and Charlie the Choo Choo were well done. 
Of course, as a DT adaptation of this epic, complex, and nuanced story, it failed. But as a glimpse of Midworld, depiction of the Mohane, and of course of our stolid hero, it was a dream finally realized. Perhaps now that it's been made, it may be easier for someone else to pick it up, where this was left off, left off and try to make a fully, more fully realized version. Given the quality of the movie and the reviews so far, I doubt it will be a direct continuation of the story. Perhaps a director's cut of the movie will become available that will give us a little bit more than we got. Perhaps this is the last we'll see of our quartet. I think I'm okay with that too. Before we totally dismiss this film and dwell on our disappointment, I'd like to point out that for all of its flaws, it did have some redeeming features. It wasn't the movie that we'd always hoped for now. I'm happy that I made it to the tower at last. Thanks for listening and for your insightful and even analysis of All Works King. Jake, um, that email, that one got to me. That is, that's the type of email that I'm, I'm really looking for. Those, those personal deep connections that are unique. Um, probably everyone that went to go see the tower, no one is going to have that, that feeling that, that you did. So I'm glad that you were able to to have that emotional experience seeing the tower. Um, I can't even imagine what, what that's like. So I'm sorry for your loss. Um, but thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that email. And up next, we have Manan who writes, uh, the part that lost me was that it was Jake's story and that Roland's focus was on Walter and getting his revenge. WTF, the man in black isn't even that prominent in the books, and the origins of Jake and Roland's relationship is crucial to the story. Don't even get me started on them overlooking Eddie and Susanna. I hated it. I hated it so much. I'm still reeling over how completely not okay this movie was. It will ensure that even less people will want to read the books, and I find that really sad. Up next, from Evan, we have Dear Stephen Kingcast. I started listening to your podcast when I started uh, a Stephen King read-through, which I have just completed after a few back-and-forths. I read The Dark Tower and It three times during the process. I loved hearing your insight on each book, and you always helped me catch things and appreciate things I missed when I first approached these books years ago. Based on your comments, I think that we are near the same age and have had the same similarities, some of the same similarities on our journey through Stephen King. Really, a great podcast that deserves a wide audience. I'm looking forward to story reviews. Those are some of my favorite King works and was disappointed that you sped through those collections the first time through. Anyway, Dark Tower film. I listened to all of your previews of the film and I was encouraged by your take on it. The reduction of the plot to the three characters made sense and I felt that it could work. However, I was 99% sure that this situation would require Jake's death. Even when I was watching the final scenes, I was expecting the follow up to I kill with my heart to be the death of Jake, thus saving the tower. That ending would have fit with the theme of the dark tower one Roland choosing the tower over love. It seemed obvious to me. It's not as if Jake's death are subtle plot points in the books. I left thinking the film could have been redeemed at the end, but they filmmakers flinched. Now I did not read any earlier scripts. So maybe it was not flinched, but just never occurred to them. I just find that hard to believe. I do not want to complain, and I certainly do, and certainly not to you. I did not find much to like in this film outside of a handful of visuals. The Dixie Pig fight was nice. Elba was good, especially in New York. Doctor's Office was maybe my favorite moment. I like the attempt at showing the Devar toy, but I am sure not sure why the film makes flinched on another important book plot point, the willing participation of the Breakers. 
Maybe without Eddie and his death, there was no point. But maybe making the Breakers enslaved children instead of willing employees finding the meaning in life was a missed opportunity to put necessary ambiguity in the film. Is there any moral ambiguity in this film? I do not see any. Roland only literally kills faceless baddies. Sigh moments. Those moments I wanted to shout out my frustration. Tracking The Shine by computers. Shine readers I watch. Um, Minichlorians? They have the same caliber measurements in Midworld, unless Jake told him, but he hardly seemed like a guy who would know. I like that scene in the gun shop in Dark Tower 2 mostly because of the language barrier. 3. Language barrier. Too easy. I think we only get one or two examples of King's Midworld speech. 4. The sci-fi gates. This is a tough one. I like the sci-fi gates as presented in the final books, but I still think they should look magical. Here I rely on advanced technology looking like magic to people who are not familiar with it. The technology just looked like stuff we might have. I guess I just always imagined the portals as looking magical, although being advanced tech. So, I I mean, I, I guess, Evan... Um, you know, in, in the books, we did see two types of, of portals. One were the magical, the, the just the free standing doors. But yeah, as King um, presented more of the, the technological ones, um, which looked technological, um, not, you know, the, the ones that we see in this movie are definitely beefed up looking. Um, and then, uh, then he writes, was that scene at the end with the kid hugging her parents' guardian, the Breakers returning? What happened there? If not, what about the Breakers? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm, I am confused about that, and the, the, the movie didn't do a good job at, at telling us. I guess I will stop there. More to say, obviously, but what's the point? I wish I could have more good to say about it. My short review is that Jake had to die for the film to make narrative sense. Roland wants revenge. He is convinced to defend the tower by Jake. Roland falls in love with Jake. To save the tower, Roland must kill who he loves, or at least let him die, which would be more canon anyway. Again, great job on the podcast. I hope there is more you have to say about your Stephen King cleanup. Fan culture needs more serious academic readings, and Stephen King deserves more appreciation by academia. I think your podcast makes that clear. Evan. Evan, thank you for writing in and for sharing your thoughts. And then we have Maggie, who writes, Hello, I read your comments on the movie, and I've heard other not-so-great reviews as well, but I really liked it. It was different from the books in a lot of ways, and I wish Eddie was in it. I've only read the first three books, so I know I'm not as invested in the original story. As adaptations go, I think if they tried to make it closer to the books, they would have failed. It's unusual for me to send out an email to someone I don't know, but I have followed you on Twitter for years, and I know that you've been as anxious for the movie as I have. So I'm just going to send this out to you, and I'm happy to talk more about it if you want, Maggie. So Maggie, yeah, thanks for writing in, and feel free to write in again. Um, and I'm glad that you liked it, and I, I, I'd like for you to, to, to share more thoughts on, on why you did like it, because most of the reviews coming in are the reasons why people didn't like it, so it's important for you to, to get your thoughts out there. Then John writes, Character depth. Delightfully weird concepts, which at the same time feel grounded. Ballsy writing. Three main qualities I associate with King's works. Three qualities the Dark Tower wasn't afraid to embrace, resulting in an adaptation that wasn't faithful to the spirit of its source material. It's just bland. And it's a shame. This should have been much so bigger than a movie. This should have and could have been a lifetime event for us fans. Instead, it came by one random week in August of 2017 with little fanfare and will be quickly forgotten. A big moment in King fandom has moved on. Poor director, clearly a fan himself, 
says he grew up with the novels, loves them, but can he ever pick the series up again and enjoy reading it? Thank you for writing in great points. And then we have Cynthia, who writes, I saw the movie yesterday and wanted to take time to mull it over a bit. I did go into the theater with an open mind. I knew it wasn't going to be an adaptation. I will start with what I liked about the movie. I loved seeing the Dark Tower on the big screen. Wow, they nailed it! I teared up a little, I must confess. It was also nice to see the Taheen on the screen, how their masks shift was really captured really well. The Easter eggs were nice as well. It was fun seeing them in this movie, and it kept with the spirit of the Stephen King universe by showing that all of his works tie together. Now for the bad, and I am going to try and keep myself centered only to speak of a couple. First off, our main character, our tower junkie, the man who would only let death keep him from his beloved tower, the very essence of Roland from the book, was absent from the movie. I'm not going to gripe about the casting choice because that was never an issue for me and still isn't. The movie was not about the gunslinger from the book. They can call it a continuation of the book all they want, but it wasn't even that. This was a different character. I don't think they even came close to showing his grit, determination, his single-mindedness, his purpose and they made him into a pseudo-superhero in the climactic fight with the man in black. Roland is supposed to be fast and a great shot, but not a superhero. My other complaint is with the supporting cast. Terrible acting. There are other fundamental flaws with this film as well, but I will just leave it for another day. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Keep it up. Uh, that's from Lynn. Sorry, I said Cynthia at top, but it's really from Lynn. So thank you, Cynthia. And up next, we have um, Will, who writes, Dear Constant Reader, I saw your call for listener reactions on Twitter, and I hope that I'm not too late for the recording. As I write this, I just got back from a matinee screening of The Dark Tower. I came to the movie as someone who was relatively new to the series. I had been aware of it for many years, but it's only within the last six months or so that I've finally gotten around to reading it. I'm using um, Bryant Burnett, fan of the podcast, the Essentials Expanded Version, um, as my guide. And you guys can find it if you go to the Truth Inside the Lie blog spot um, as my guide. And as of this writing, I have completed it through Insomnia with Rose Matter soon to come as I finish the book I'm currently reading. I haven't been reading King exclusively, so I'm not chugging through the list as quickly as I might otherwise be. I've also been leapfrogging over the books that I've already read. For instance, I read The Stand last summer and I felt no need to revisit it so soon. At any rate, thanks to pop culture osmosis, I'm aware of several of the plot developments to some, even though I've only read through the wastelands as far as the series proper goes. For example, I know about King's self-insertion, and the cyclical nature of the ending, though I don't know how those things are executed, which characters die or survive along the way, etc. As such, I still try to avoid spoilers when I can, which means that I've skipped some of your Tower-centric episodes as I work my way through the Stephen King cast archives. As the movie itself, I found it to be aggressively mediocre. It wasn't the worst thing that I've ever seen in the theater. I was there on opening weekend for Spider-Man 3 and X-Men The Last Stand, after all, but it was right up there on the list of movies with the most wasted potential. It was definitely a rushed affair, with awkward, expository dialogue that tried to explain everything in as little time as possible. My fear began to take root when I realized just how sparse the marketing was. We didn't even get a trailer until May. I thought Elba was great in the role. My problems were that he was just saddled with... Um, were my problems were with what he was saddled with. McConaughey could have been 
great as the man in black, but his mustache twirling in his secret base of evil got a bit tiresome, and it felt as though his primary mooks were supposed to be a bit more developed as his dragons, to use TV tropes terminology. It also got a bit tiresome to hear the shine referenced over and over. I felt like shouting, I get the reference, knock it off! I did, however, appreciate the little shout-outs, from the Pennywise Amusement Park to the Blink and Miss It Rita Hayworth poster. I'm a sucker for that king that kind of uh, fan service and makes sense in this movie focusing on jake made this movie feel as though it were based on garden variety ya novel rather than a very adult multi-volume series i had no real problems with the actor's performance but it should have been elba's movie that's what hurts the most i think it's not so bad that i hate it but the wasted potential is almost palpable i can only imagine what it's like for the fans who have been there from the start who had to endure the years of waiting between novels. It's all but a cliche to say this about adaptations, but this should have been a season-long television series with room to breathe. I do, however, maintain my hope that it will be enjoyable. It, like it, the movie coming out. I'll end by thanking you for the show. I've been working my way through the archives over the last several months, listening to episodes as I read the books. I've enjoyed it very much. Will. Um, Will, thank you for writing. Um, I agree with pretty much everything that you are saying. Then we have Lou, um, who writes, Hello there. I love your podcast. I've been a loyal listener for quite some time now. You and your analytical reviews get me through my commute and sometimes work itself. Thank you, Cy, for that. I'll keep this short and sweet. The Dark Tower movie, which I just watched 20 minutes ago, was just okay. Not terrible, but not good, if that makes any sense. It does. I know what you mean. Just way too too much mythology stuffed into this half-hoagie of a film. It all felt so rushed, with little to no character development. I'm fine with the changes to the story. After all, this isn't Roland's first go-around. The world-building was half-hearted, too. Midworld doesn't feel like a fully realized place to me in this film, but whatever. Idris Elba does a fine job as Roland, but I feel like he isn't given a lot to do um, but pout and say familiar lines from the book. The kid who plays Jake does an okay job, but I found his take on Jake uninspired and one-dimensional. The real highlight of the film is Matthew McConaughey as the man in black who is all parts menacing and charming. It almost feels like a waste. He would have been better served starring in a new adaptation of The Stand as the Walking Dude, which he originally was going to be. Anyway, that was neither short nor sweet. Keep up the great work, sir. Glad you're back. May you have long days and pleasant nights. Louis Pagan, a.k.a. Constant Listener, and may you have twice the number. Then we have Lou, um, fellow podcaster from the, the Stephen King podcast. Everyone that is not listening to Stephen podcast, you need to go over there and listen to it because this was probably the original Stephen King podcast. Then uh, we have Lou um, and uh, Lilia, who runs uh, Lilia's Library, which is the comprehensive source of all things Stephen King. Uh, so you're going to want to listen to those two guys over at the, the Stephen King podcast. Um, and so Lou shot me an email, and it's a very quick email, but it's worth discussing because I think that it's, it's very, very true. Um, and Lou wrote, uh, is it just me, or did the internet hive mind seem to decide to dislike the Dark Tower movie and love the It movie before seeing either? So this is a, it was a really interesting way to view this. So rather than giving, you know, his thoughts on the movie itself, Lou really brought up a good point, one that I, I kind of was thinking at the same time. Maybe it was because of the, the, the apprehension that, that came from the lack of marketing, but, um, 
I do feel that because both films were being released in such close proximity to another, people took sides, um, with most people favoring it. And I do think that's because you had one company, New Line Cinema, that really seemed to believe in this movie through um, confident marketing. Uh, and then you had Sony Pictures that wasn't really marketing. So we got the the it uh, teaser in April, maybe or May. Um, not you know not that far removed from when we got the uh, Dark Tower one, and it was great. Number one uh, trending on Twitter, all the buzz. Uh, we had a good rollout on Entertainment Weekly with the reveal of, of the, pen, the look of Pennywise back when the movie you know first started. Uh, the the other trailer has just come out. I will talk about that. Um, almost two and a half hours into this review, so I won't talk about the the the, the real it trailer. The first one was considered a teaser, so it trailer number one. I I won't talk about with this podcast. Maybe the next podcast. Um, now the TV spots are showing up, and with every TV spot, we're seeing something different, something new. Whereas the Dark Tower trailers that we saw, the two of them, and all the TV spots, it was all the same footage. So you have one studio that is finding new ways to market, and they're being very, very clever, and they're being very fun, and they're being very confident about it. And on the other hand, we had Sony, who didn't know how to market it, that didn't really have much to market with, now that we know the truth. Um... But yes, I do believe that people made up their mind before the movie came out. I, I do feel as if the movie was good, though. People would have acknowledged that it was good. I just don't think that the movie happened to be very good. And then lastly, we have Tim, who writes, Is Walter really dead? Or is it what Roland and the viewer are led to believe? And this first movie ends like the first book with Roland thinking that Walter is in a pile of bones. We heard his calling, the whistle, at the end, and there was no blood. Can he eject the bullets? It was Keystone Earth, though, but like in Wizard and Glass with the scene with the TikTok man, Roland's guns could not kill the man in black. It was only when Roland tried to use Jake's gun from Earth that the man in black reacted and vanished before Roland could kill him. Was to come as a result of that, hmm, Dark Tower Junkie from Twitter. So, Tim, that is, uh... It's a good question, but again, it goes back to the unreliability and the, the the lack of definition around Walter's abilities. Like, I don't know. I don't know what his vulnerabilities are, um, if he's more vulnerable on Keystone Earth or not. I, I don't know. Um, but I would not expect us to see Matthew McConaughey as the man in black again. I just don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, maybe Walter lives to terrorize him on another day. Um, that would all depend on whether or not this is getting a sequel. And, spoiler alert, we're not getting a sequel, guys. Don't hold your breath. We barely got this movie, and it failed to deliver. So, um, for all intents and purposes, uh, the the Man in Black one, uh, the beams uh, have been destroyed, and, and Todash Space has swept across all of existence. All right, guys, I wish that I had better things to say. Um, I really do. But it's in the past, and it wasn't what we wanted. But at the end of the day, we got to say we saw a Dark Tower movie, and that's cool. 
I just hope that the next time we see an iteration of the Dark Tower, whether it's on television, whether it's on the big screen, um, that it it uh, it's a better realized version. Doesn't have to be just like the books. I just want it to be good. I just want it to be better than this was. So good news is, whatever we get next has to be better. Good news. Even better news. In less than a month. Um, no, no, sorry. Still over a month. But close enough. In, in just about a month, let's say. We have what looks to be um, the real deal when it comes to Stephen King adaptations. Everything that I've seen from it looks awesome. So, um, looks like the fall is going to be a good time to be a Stephen King fan and just a fan of, of pop culture, of spooky culture, because we have it kicking off the Halloween season, and, and right as Halloween is getting good, we're going to have Stranger Things season two. So that's an incredible, incredible one-two punch. So, don't despair, guys. The tower wasn't great, but as we all know, um... The Tower is one of Stephen King's foundational stories, but so is it. And if we didn't get the Dark Tower adaptation that we wanted, it looks like it's going to happen when, when it comes. So I'm trying to be positive about things. I know that the Tower wasn't what, what we wanted it to be, but let's, let's not let what happened with the Tower sour how we look ahead at, at it, because this looks like... This looks like it's going to be great, so don't let the disappointment um, overtake your excitement for, for it. Alright guys, if you have not done so already, if you have thoughts on the Dark Tower, just because I've recorded this episode, the next episode, whatever thoughts that you have on the Dark Tower, uh, I... I will um, include them in the in the email section of the episode. So so keep them coming. Write in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And if you haven't done so, um, like I said at the top of the, the this episode, um, you know, head on over to iTunes because any review that you give me will will really, really help me out. So just head on over to iTunes, leave a review. And uh, next week, I probably will head back into my uh, analysis of the, the night shift. I'll either, either it's going to be an interview or it is going to be um, one of the, the, the night shift adaptations. But either way, there will be a new episode next week. And anyone listening that hasn't seen The Dark Tower, you should see it. I mean, it is, it is worth seeing to make up your mind about it. And the more people that see it means that it makes more money, which means that the chances are with every ticket that's purchased is, 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 is a sign to Sony saying that you might not necessarily have been into this movie, but you're into the intellectual property and you would like to see more of it. So don't boycott it because that's only going to hurt yourself in the long run. Go see it. Support the content, support the product, support Psy King. Um, and maybe, maybe, if every constant reader out there goes to see The Dark Tower, we might get a sequel that resembles the books that we love um, in a way that the, the first movie did not. So go see the movie, go see the movie. And um, either way, guys, I'll, I'll see you next week. So may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells 
Stephen King cast. Mm-hmm.